cry, knocked or called secretly at the chamber door, and asked what the queen had, whereupon her attendants, much amused, called back, Whatsoever the queen's grace hath here within, sure it is that a fool standeth there without. Whereupon Dr. Sirago hastily departed without seeing the king that time. That same month, my lady princess was baptized with most solemnity in a new font set up in St. Stephen's Chapel in Westminster Palace by her kinsman George Neville, Archbishop of York, just as if she had been the desired prince. She was given her mother's name. It was a happy coincidence that the Queen had a special devotion for St. Elizabeth. The name Elizabeth was not new in the royal line. It had been given to daughters of Henry I and Edward I, and to a granddaughter of Edward III. It had also been born by Elizabeth de Burr, the heiress who had married Lionel of Antwerp, Duke of Clarence, Edward III's second son, and brought the rich Ulster inheritance to the royal house of York. Tradition decreed that the king and queen did not attend the christening, but Edward IV made it the occasion for a show of solidarity, even though the players were privately at odds or disapproved of his marriage. The baby princess's sponsors were her grandmothers, the Duchesses of York and Bedford, and the Earl of Warwick. Walter Blunt, Lord Mountjoy, Treasurer of England, received 1,000 marks, the equivalent of £152,250 today, for his diligence at the baptism, then was promptly told to resign his office to the Queen's father, Lord Rivers. The king bought his wife a jewelled ornament costing £125, the equivalent of £62,550 today, against the birth of our most dear daughter, Elizabeth. Even though she had only borne a daughter, Elizabeth Woodville's churching ceremony that followed in late March was attended by great magnificence. The queen left her childbed that morning, and went to church in stately order, accompanied by many priests bearing relics and by many scholars singing and carrying lights. There followed a great company of ladies and maidens from the country and from London. Then came trumpeters, pipers, and players of stringed instruments. The king's choir followed, forty-two of them, who sang excellently. Then came twenty-four heralds and pursivants, followed by sixty earls and knights. At last came the queen, escorted by two dukes. Above her was a canopy. Behind her were her mother, and maidens and ladies to the number of sixty. Then the queen heard the singing of an office. Following the service of purification that marked her return to society after her confinement, She returned to the palace in procession as before. Then all who had joined the procession remained to eat. So many guests were present, clearly a prince had been anticipated, that they filled four great rooms of an unbelievably costly apartment.
Elizabeth Woodville might have been deemed an unsuitable bride for the king, but she was determined that no one should remember it, and the etiquette that surrounded her on this occasion was rigorous. The queen sat alone at table on a costly golden chair. The queen's mother and the king's sister, Anne, Duchess of Exeter, had to stand some distance away. When the queen spoke with her mother or the king's sister, they knelt down before her until she had drunk water. Not until the first dish was set before the queen could they be seated. The sixty ladies and maidens and all who served the queen at table were of noble birth and had to kneel so long as the queen was eating. The meal lasted for three hours.